and and we are all just victims of circumstance. Mm-hmm. The only reason we have certain cultural mores, our viewpoints, is because of the like exact place into which we were born. And that is the exact same for those that choose to fight for the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Like they're the it's the same. We would be them if we were born into their circumstance, and they would be us if they were born into ours. And so to be, I mean, it, it really is just like, like if you are a, like some sort of like high level journalist, you know, uh, premier level or like whatever, you know, the highest level of journalists in the United States, and you're like, are advocating for wholesale destruction of people like you're the bad people you're mm-hmm. the baddies mm-hmm. you don't have any sense of morality to stand on just because of the circumstance that you were born into where you were allowed to go to some sort of elite american institution you're just as bad as them you're worse actually worse actually like, i like you worse, worse. yeah i like you worse <laughs> Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try to make sense of the universe one Wikipedia article at a time. I, of course, am joined by my uh, very patiently waiting to be a father co-host, John Nicholas. Thank you, thank you. Uh, That is correct, and uh, as always, I'm joined here by... The very patiently waiting to be a fun uncle, mm-hmm. Alex Virgil. Oh, can't wait. Um, Mo- Molly and I are going to be getting Marlo a lot of the same books, I think, over the next mm-hmm. few years, based on what I saw mm-hmm. at the baby shower. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and we are, of course, produced um, by our lovely friend and NSA agent, Emmy yes. Sack. Uh, who is still on her clandestine mission? It's a long one. It's a long one. We Afghanistan is a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We hope uh, she's okay, but geez. also we hope that she's failing miserably. Yeah. We hope she fails. We hope she comes back with her tail between her legs. Um, how are we doing, Verge? Um, I didn't make it onto the podcast, but terrible because I had two burger meals in a row. But aside from that, you can't great. do it. Can't do you it. You just can't. You, you can't do two burgers in a row. It's just too much burger. Yeah. In a row. Yeah. There. It's a lovely, lovely meal every once in a while. Yeah. Uh even sometimes, fairly often. Yeah. But two meals in a row, dinner into lunch, can't be done. Ridiculous. Cannot be done. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's one of the few comfort foods that really is like that, though. Like you could theoretically have pizza two two meals in a row yeah feel okay yeah fried rice fine yeah P- uh, burger no no can't do it because even one burger like takes it out of me i'm at yeah. the age where i eat a burger and i i'm falling asleep going oh i just like tomorrow's gonna suck and then tomorrow came yeah. and i'm like no time for another burger 
I'm not 30 yet. <laughs> yeah, get it in while you can. Living out, living out 29. Got to take a couple years off my life in the next month and a half. You got it. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. Um. Well, that's good. Yeah, two burgers in a row. We don't yeah. recommend it. Um. And how are you? Aside from the uh, obvious, you know, you know. I'm good. Yeah, we're just playing the waiting game. We are. Um, we are ready to be parents. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I'm not doing any of, the, not doing any of the hard work right now though. So I, I at least am thanking yeah. my lucky stars for that. Especially because um, this is going exactly yeah. like as you had planned from before conception, even. So like you, you, y'all have been ready to be parents right now for like right. a year plus now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very like it's very like regimented. Yeah, um, but we're enjoying the quiet while we can. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Yeah, other than that, pretty good. You know, watching in horror as the world, you know, continues, continues. to turn. Yeah. Uh, in all of the worst ways, but kind of uh, crazy. I yeah, I had a friend over um, yesterday who's like, who's very on similar wavelength as me about you know stuff, and we both sat like, "How you doing?" And kind of were just like, "Like okay," despite. Like, yeah, the yeah. world is just continuing to f- get worse faster. Um, yeah. But maybe we've just passed that that threshold, you know, when you're being tortured. You know, when they say, like, when you're being tortured, there's a point where they just get, where they break and, and, and uh, it starts to almost become a masochistic, not, like, joy, but this weird pleasure and that's when you just have to kill the person you're torturing because you're just not going to get any more out of them and that's like how i feel about like just the world in general where it's just like i've reached that point where it's just like yeah like this is what it is yeah it and it's you know i think it is um there's a bit of like a um uh what, like a, a logical fallacy in that mm. uh, of like the internet in that mm. like we are just the bad is just so much more in our like human suffering has never been easier to perceive yeah, yeah. than it is like right now in the history of humanity yeah, yeah um whereas like it's you know the the story of man mm-hmm. and woman is one like intrinsically of suffering like that's like the the most uh universal truth and experience is one of just like abject suffering like Mm -hmm. from the the dawn of man um but now we just like see it anecdotally right yeah we're like oh this bad thing's happening now Mm -hmm. um i will say though i for me personally the concept of climate change Mm. uh has really kind of entered into a new stage of like a kind of like fever dream of realness Uh. where i'm like oh i i'm this is going to affect me and my family for the rest of our lives like and people i know will be affected by this thing um like ever present for the rest of our fucking lives Mm -hmm. uh i don't know why i don't know why i kind of like moved into that moment um 
but it did. And, but I feel uh, you though, because it, it yeah, it, it's simultaneously like all encompassing in the sense that like, well, like nothing else is gonna matter if this, if we reach that threshold right. of like no going back kind of thing. Um, but it also takes the pressure off of everything else because it's just like all of this pettiness is not gonna matter in six and a half years because we're gonna be fucking worried about like where yeah. in the forest we're gonna find our next meal where we're getting water yeah, yeah. no i mean i uh, it, it really is um yeah not to not to be sound alarmist but yeah i, I guess too sound you kind of, well that's the like, thing is like that's kind of the correct place to be about this yeah we are we are like we are the fucking frogs in the boil in the slowly boiling pot of water mm-hmm. and this climate catastrophe however you want to ca- call it is going to affect more of us than we give it credit for yeah it's not just going to flood the homes of like the hundred million people in Bangladesh mm-hmm. who we can like reject their humanity and be like, well, sucks to be them. Like, no, this is going to affect the, the, the amount of middle to upper class Americans that think that they are too rich or like too well off and in too developed of a place mm-hmm. to uh, miss out on the lifeboat. Yeah. Uh, is going to be a really big wake-up call. Yeah. And, you know, like, I don't know if that's going to be the thing that finally, like, is, like, the thing that breaks our stupid fucking society's, yep. um, you know, kind of stranglehold on um, having no discernible um, want for change in mm-hmm. any, or, you know, revolutionary change, but it's going to hit people like a ton of bricks, uh well i'm sure we'll we'll talk about plenty of this kind of stuff a little bit later in the episode do you yeah do you have any unfinished business verge um what the fuck did we talk about last time uh we talked about football the wonderlick test oh yeah and um human sacrifice we have to take the wonderlick test i yes we I, do i i don't know I if that's something yet. we want to do now but i mean do you want to do it now is that something you can just like look up and do Let's see. Let's see how long it takes. Take a free minutes. one. Okay. Should right, we do, we'll it? do it? We'll, okay. we'll do it. All right. Yep. We'll do it. We'll uh, keep recording, but none of it will actually go in, of course, yeah. until we do it. All right. All right. Okay, wait. All right. All right, start quiz. Yep. Oh, shit. Oof. I did bad. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> What'd you do? I got, I got thirty. I got twenty-five. How far did you get? I had like twenty questions to go. I was on like question thirty. I was on, I was on like question forty, and I got thirty, which means I got like a solid ten wrong. Yeah, right? I, I went, was going way too slow. Yo, that's a hard, that's a hard yeah. test in the time yeah, frame dude. you're given. There's a lot of like legit like mental math that you have to do. Multiple step mental math you have to do. Yeah. Whew. Um, feeling dumb. Wow. Feeling dumb. 
Man, that yeah. test is bullshit, man. There, there's that test doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> I hate this test. I enjoyed, I enjoyed problem solving of the content of each question. In like, uh, you know, if you're someone who enjoys like Sudoku, like you get those books with lateral thinking puzzles and stuff like that. But like, with what's at stake, and the time frame. And all that. Ugh. So, I am reading the comments of this free Wonderlick test. And it does yeah. sound like... Um, it does sound... Like the first time you take it. Isn't it? Like, it does sound like you... The football players do practice for this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because... Like a- Taking it blind, taking it blind, I, yeah, feel very, uh, (laughs) very bad about my score. Oh, man. It was more the time than anything, though. Yeah, that's what it was. I wasn't managing the time well at all. Yeah. I didn't even, I mean, we didn't even get close to finishing. No, I had, I had at least 20 questions left. Uh, People who take our course average increasing their score 10.6 points. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, closing that tab forever. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, that was our unfinished business. Uh, Virgil and I did not do very well on that. Yeah. Definitely not as well as we probably hoped and thought. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. What else? <laughs> Any other unfinished business? You know, I, I guess the only thing that I was going to say is that um, I really, the more I thought about last week's episode uh, and us kind of joking that the, the concepts weren't weren't related, the more I do think that it was kind of crazy that we talked about American football and human sacrifice in the same week. Yeah. Because they are very related, in my opinion. Yeah. And that uh, we have a very, like, new world understanding of sports and of America. Mm-hmm. And, like, we relate American football very similarly to how the sport was related in, like, Mesoamerican cultures almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we are willing to see these players, like, literally sacrificed for the kind of, you know, the good of the sport. So Dude, I do if, think that it was timely. Yeah, if that was what was at stake, do you think the general public would be way more interested in the Wonderlick? If it yeah, was like... Ex- honestly. Like, San Diego has been owned by other cities for a long time now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we need people to take that Wonderlick and get some, get some good high scores. All right. All right. Well, hey, Verge, do you know what time it is very much no very much no um all right so it is time for uh drum roll um surprise badass of the week okay yeah kind of tentative a a pretty soft one i mean this is this is an interesting quirky one um but today i want to talk about um, Shail Upadaya. 
Shail, S-H-A-I-L, Upadaya, U-P-A-D-H-Y-A. Okay. Um, and he was um, a Nepalese diplomat, United Nations disarmament expert, okay. and fashion designer. Um, yes. And yes. Uh, so he... <laughs> He was a very short Wikipedia article, so I'll just read it all. Um, actually, it's so there's no there's not really any information on Wikipedia about being a Nepalese diplomat or United Nations disarmament expert. Besides, that was, fact just, his, that that was just his survival job. He was that. Um, <laughs> but as a second career, Upadaya worked as a fashion designer, becoming a social fixture in New York City. Known for his flamboyant wow. and colorful suits and outfits, he was a prominent presence in the 2011 documentary film *Bill Cunningham, New York*, about New York Times fashion photographer Bill Cunningham. He lived in New York City, Southampton, New York, and Miami. Um, oh, Southampton, New York, and Miami, Florida. Uh, Upadaya was interviewed on *The Ali G Show* by <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen's character Bruno at New York Fashion Week. And I, uh, if you'll allow me to screen clip share, I, yes, yeah, we will, will. clip oh, it yeah. in. Um, he share screen options. Boom. He was, um, you know, obviously the uh, the source of a lot of um, humor or you know <laughs> yeah. ridicule on the Ali G show. Um, yeah. But I just love the fact that he was a United Nations disarmament expert. Like, it makes all of it just so much better. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. You ready? Yes. I feel like I've seen this guy. Yeah, he's hilarious. Um... (laughs) So... You know, he's getting made fun of in that clip, but I think he's got a point. Yeah, yeah. Like, everything he says is totally sound. (laughs) Totally fair. Like, it's very, uh, it's very prescient. I get it. I mean, I think it's, it's hilarious to go back on that, because there's, like, there's, like, some sort of crass truth to, like, that kind of, like, mentality that even a guy like Sasha Baron Cohen in that moment would have been, like, totally... Yeah. you know dismissive of and like ridicule him and and make him seem like he's such an idiot but like yeah he's right like he's everything changed after 9-11 ever did including fashion every, yeah that's great i like i just love i i love the idea of him walking into work at the un and just like bitching to his secretary about how boring everyone's dressed right <laughs> No, exactly. I mean, it is like quite interesting in that regard. Like, he clearly was like this the whole, you know, even when yeah. he was a disarmament expert. Dude, he has some of the best fits of all time. I'm going to share a link. Um, yeah, please. It's just a bit of a just an absolute man. fashion god. I um wish he actually did some like design work for like the UN. I'm, t- right? I'm tired of the Nazis being the best dressed. Honestly. Yeah. Oh my god. He's great. Yo, that's so cool that 
just had a whole career and then was like, all right, going to New York to like not just be any fashion person, like a legit designer. A designer, yeah. Yo. Oh, man. Yeah, some of these fits, I like, yeah. I do wonder if he, if you like can still get his, I wonder how much those suits cost, just like insane I, amount. Yeah. I like, don't know if I would wear the full fit ever, but every single piece, I would yeah. love to rock. Dude, especially. He's got one the, that's all the logos of companies. Yeah. He's got a total like Adam Courtesy tongue in cheek in there. Dude, absolutely. Especially the pants. Like, I would yeah. wear the pants. I like the, the pants. The pants are dope. The black pants with the reddish yellowish on to- towards the shins area. I love those yeah. pants. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so Hell that's, yeah, that's the, Shia. That's the, um, the intro subject for the week. Short but sweet. A good Short one. Short but very sweet. A great yeah. one. Total badass. Total badass. Um... um well, I love that. Like we didn't even define what a disarmament expert is. We just assume like <laughs> just getting rid of bombs. Yeah, getting rid did, of nukes. You know, I assume. I think. Yeah, I think that that was probably a, in the words of Shail, a very pre nine eleven um, type of job. Um, like that was like a very, I think, a very specific job that employed the un employed a lot of people in in like the mm-hmm. 1990s it, following yeah. the cold war right mm-hmm. like nuclear deproliferation in the you know soviet satellite states and whatnot a lot of yeah. disarmament experts in kazakhstan yeah top priority that's hilarious he served the people one way and then he served the people in a very different way to serve them some looks more like yeah it. some l-e-w-k looks yeah. Um, um, hell yeah. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, I'm uh just gonna search his name on my browser so that the internet inevitably will start showing me similar things more. Yeah. Good. Good. Plan. Give me those Instagram ads for Upadaya style clothing. Upadaya suits. That would be great. Um, um all right i think i should go first um okay. since i'm gonna do tw- two so i'm not just talking yeah. all at the end so um cool. i'll start with my episode 40 topic hit me you ready for it i today want to talk about do 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 mass psychogenic illness whoa immediately fascinating yes um and potentially topical. Yeah. Um, so, mass psychogenic illness uh, is the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group, originating from a nervous system disturbance involving excitation, loss, or alteration of function, whereby physical complaints that are exhibited unconsciously have no corresponding organic etiology. Mm. In other words, 
very real illnesses among a significant community of similar people that are not caused by anything except for some sort of like psychological this is like that laughing off. laughing plague and like dancing yeah but well we are going to talk about a couple of them for sure Hell um yeah. So, so mass psychogenic illness involves the spread of illness symptoms through a population where there is no infectious agent responsible for contagion. Um, MPI is distinct from other types of collective delusions by involving physical symptoms. Uh, mass hysteria is to date a poorly understood condition. Little certainty exists regarding its etiology. Um, outbreaks often include symptoms that have no plausible organic basis symptoms that are transient and benign, symptoms with rapid onset and recovery, occurrence in a segregated group, the mm. presence of extraordinary anxiety, symptoms that are spread via sight, sound, or oral communication, a spread that moves down the age scale beginning with the older or higher status people, a preponderance of female participants, um, and then British psychiatrist Simon Wesley distinguishes between two forms of MPI. Mass anxiety hysteria consists mm -hmm. of episodes of acute anxiety occurring mainly in school children. Prior tension is absent and the rapid spread is by visual contact. Whoa. Or mass motor hysteria uh, uh -huh. consists of abnormalities in motor behavior that occurs in any age group and prior tension is present. Um, initial cases can be identified and the spread is gradual. Out outbreak may be prolonged. Um, so this is something that, yeah, like you were kind of already alluding to has happened continuously over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, essentially we are like victims of our own present in a way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that a lot of this stuff is brought on by a certain kind of like anxiety to changing times and and obviously like a like a high tension mm -hmm. situation. So um uncertainty. Uncertainty. So there's uh and we'll come back to this one. I have the tab open for dancing mania, um, oh, yeah. also known as the dancing plague, um, which was a Middle Ages social phenomenon, basically from the 14th to the century, 17th centuries, um, was a, a an example of mass psychogenic illness. Um, but also, like these kind of outbreaks happened quite a bit um, at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. And people thought, people thought, like, initially prescribed that, um, or diagnosed that, like, the hum in factories was, like, mm. driving people insane. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> it's, uh, so, um, uh, it seems so like... sad to hear that, because that's, like, like it's the same people that are saying, like, 5G mm -hmm. and stuff. It's a very, I mean, people that would like be like, I'm 
I feel like I have headaches and I'm going crazy because of 5G. It's the exact uh-huh. same concept where you're like diagnosing yourself based on new technology that you don't understand. Right. And then reapplying a certain like like stress, I think stress stress and anxiety have a way of just ravaging your body and mm-hmm. presenting themselves in a very physical way. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's there's like our body is capable of like creating symptoms in a way that we wouldn't common reason wouldn't allow us to believe is true but it is true that it yeah. clearly has happened over and over again where like some level of anxiety and stress has caused us to become ridiculously um you know, ravaged by all these terrible feelings and, and symptoms yeah. without any reason. And the thing is, I can totally understand that because I've like, I feel like I've experienced a certain amount of that where it's like, I lived in a dusty area during a very high anxiety and stress time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I would break out in like hives and just like rashes. Totally. And then moving closer to the water was good for my like mental health but also my skin and it's a very chicken in the egg thing of like how exactly do all those factors play in which right. is causing which and what you know um so i'm gonna do a sh- i tell you about a short one that cool. i like isn't even linked on the the wikipedia article i don't really like i almost like found it separately and was able to like pull it back in then we'll talk mm-hmm. about dancing mania and then i want to like jump into something a little bit more more relevant. Um, Hell yeah! So I want to talk about railway spine. Um, this is a very short article. Uh, okay. uh, railway spine was a 19th century diagnosis for the post traumatic symptoms of passengers involved in railway accidents. Um, mm. The first full length medical study of the condition was John Eric Erickson's classic book on railway and other injuries of the nervous system. And so railway spine is often known as Erickson's disease. Uh, Railway collisions were frequent occurrence in the early 19th century. They exacerbating the problem was the fact that railway cars were flimsy wooden structures with no protection for the occupants. Soon a group of people started coming forward who claimed that they had been injured in train crashes, but had no obvious evidence of injury. The railroads rejected these claims as fake. Um, the nature of symptoms caused by railway spine was hotly debated in the 19th century, uh, notably in Austria. Um, and Germans, Germany's leading neurologist, Hermann Oppenheim, cl- claimed that all railway spine symptoms were due to physical damage to the spine or brain. Um, mm. However, French and British scholars insisted that some symptoms could be caused by hysteria, uh, now known as conversion disorder, which is totally tied into mass psychogenic illness. Um, So Erickson observed that those most likely to be injured in railway crash were those sitting with their backs to the acceleration. This is the same injury mechanism found in whiplash. As with automobile accidents, railway and airplane accidents are now known to cause post-traumatic stress disorder and other psychosomatic symptoms in addition to physical trauma. So I love this because it's like something that happened in the you know 1800s mm-hmm. that it, it was imperfect like mm-hmm. 
the diagnosis was wrong, mm-hmm. but it wasn't not real. Right, right, right. There was something to it. There's something was happening. <laughs> uh-huh. And it more than anything just like like kind of is a great example of the every single moment, like every single era in history has been hell in its own way, right? <laughs> like it's like yeah, it's yeah. all just sucked for different <laughs> reasons. Like it sounds you know, I was listening to someone talk about this railway spine and they were saying that if you were a frequent railway car passenger, there was no actual like like the way that they built railroad cars in the 19th century, there was no like support structure. So mm-hmm. the car itself was like would go like <laughs> this on the track, like just like completely like uh, no backbone to it. <laughs> and so people like did just completely it. We did things to the human body by people riding on railroads in the 19th century that like the human body is not supposed to be able to withstand, <laughs> right and so it has probably, never had to since yeah exactly so we probably i mean it's not like there was any we aren't able to like do 21st century research on the 19th century railway pass so we don't actually know what happened to these people <laughs> Um, I kind of love that so, where we kind of just have to be like, yeah, like we'll just kind of never know. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a condition that clearly affected people back then. We don't know really totally why. We do know it's right. a mixture of like the things that we now call like whiplash and PTSD. Right. But we're not capable of totally understanding quite that cocktail of symptoms manifesting themselves together yeah uh like it these people probably did have like cte like what we now know Mm -hmm. to be like cte you know like absolute brain damage from just getting their head knocked against a wooden (laughs) railway car (laughs) all the way from like fucking chicago to you know (laughs) yeah dude san francisco i mean it probably sounds awful so so i guess that's one of the things about like mass psychogenic illness that i think is important is that it's not it's not made up it is just like a different way of contracting a disease and symptoms of a disease you know and it's not just like shittier diagnoses than we're able like there's a little bit of that yeah and there's a little bit of the other thing but it's yeah the cocktail of it is hilarious yeah um Okay, let's talk about Dancing Mania a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because, because the train one is still easier to wrap my head around. Totally. Great example um, of the, like, ephemerality of, like, way of life. Yep. Uh, okay, so Dancing Mania, sometimes known as Dancing Plague, um, St. John's Dance, and nice. uh, Tarantism. It was a social phenomenon that occurred primarily in mainland Europe, between the 14th and century, 17th centuries. It involved groups of people dancing erratically, sometimes thousand at, thousands at a time. It affected adults and children who danced until they collapsed from exhaustion and injuries. Um, it started in the city of Aachen in uh, what was then the Holy Roman Empire in 1374, sp- quickly spread throughout Europe, and notably there was an outbreak in Strasbourg in Alsace, which was Holy Roman Empire, now France, in 1518. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So uh, I think let's talk about that Aachen outbreak. Um, yeah. Which was known as the Dancing Plague of 1518. Um, July 1518, a woman began dancing in the street, and between 50 and 400 people joined her. Um, mm. I, and the, it's so. Historical documents, including uh, physicians' notes, cathedral sermons, local regional chronicles, uh, even notes issued by the Strasbourg City Council are clear that the victims danced. It is not known why. Historical sources agree that there was an outbreak of dancing after a single woman started dancing. Um, Mostly young women joined in, and the dancing never seemed to die down. It lasted for such a long time that it attracted the attention of the Strasbourg magistrate and bishop, and some number of doctors ultimately intervened, putting the afflicted in the hospital. Um, in so events similar to this said to have occurred in the 11th century, where it was believed to be demonic possession. Um, okay. In Italy, in the 15th century, a woman was bitten by a tarantula, and mm. the venom was said to make her dance convulsively. She said the only way to cure the bite was to, quote, shimmy and to have the right sort of music available, which was an accepted remedy by scholars. I love that. I love that. Um, love that. The right music. I just want to dance. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, uh, they, there are, this is the weird thing. So, right, like, I keep, like, kind of almost cycling over different the same shit over and over again uh in when i'm describing it it yeah. is quite literally just a disease that spread to people dancing like there's not a whole lot more to it um but some people so there are modern theories and some people believe that the dancing could have been brought on by food poisoning um yeah that would have sp- been my first yeah more specifically caused by the toxic and psychoactive chemical products of ergot fungi which bro yeah <laughs> yeah grows commonly on grains such as rye and it's used for uh, making bread um it's as you may know the main um psychoactive product uh ergotamine is structurally related yeah. to lsd 25 um the same fungus has been implicated in other major historical anomalies uh, including the salem witch trials yeah. um However, um, a noted scholar, John Waller, argues that this theory does not seem tenable since it is Mm. unlikely that those poisoned by ergot could have danced for days at a time, nor would so many people have reacted to its psychotropic chemicals in the same way. Uh, The ergotism theory also fails to explain why virtually every outbreak occurred somewhere along the Rhine and Moselle rivers area is linked by water but with quite different climates and crops um i don't know however like bacteria is that sort of thing where it's like you know i don't know i don't know anything about but i think that there's a potentially a mixture here right so right right um uh because other theories um this, this says, this could have been a florid example of psychogenic movement disorder happening mm-hmm. in mass hysteria or mass psychogenic illness, mm-hmm. which involves many individuals suddenly exhibiting the same bizarre behavior. 
It mm-hmm. spreads rapidly and broadly in an epidemic pattern, and it is caused by levels of psychological stress, caused by the ruthless years, even by the rough standards of the early modern period that people of all safes were suffering from. Um, Waller speculates that the dancing was stress-induced psychosis on a mass level, since the region where the people danced was riddled with starvation and disease, and the inhabitants attended to be superstitious. Seven other cases of dancing plague were reported in the same region during the medieval era. Um, and it says the psychogenic illness could have created a chorea, um, it's in a situation comprising random and intricate unintentional m- movements that flit from body part to body part. Um, mm. Diverse choreas were labeled in the Middle Ages referring to the independent epidemics of dancing mania that happened in Central Europe. Uh, So I do think maybe, like, the ergot was an influence on certain people, right? Like, Mm -hmm. certain people probably had ergot poisoning in that they were just, like, constantly tripping on, like, raw, low-grade LSD. (laughs) Um And they lived in what people argue is like one of the most disparate periods and regions ever to exist in the Western world. Yeah. Right. Like horrifying conditions. You're constantly unintentionally tripping on a psychoactive drug. Uh Uh-huh. And then other people maybe who also maybe have low grade psychoactive poisoning or who don't also live in the same just absolutely squalid horrifying conditions see someone dancing and just start dancing too yeah and you're like well i can't stop it i don't know how the world works i'm confused i'm scared my life is terrible let's just do this because other people are doing it and then it spreads yo i that makes a lot of sense to me one of those (laughs) like one of those like multiple factors you could never Yep. You could never like uh artificially put together just perfect storm of conditions. Um because all of like the mysteries and the bacchanals and all those had that like dancing chanting to right to shed. Right. You know whatever. So, there is a certain element of like ancestral imprinting in your head, right? Yeah. Like your ancestors had this like you know like wild and free moment where they were like connected to the gods you live in the most fucked up place and time that you could possibly live you're probably illiterate but you've heard stories about the past and it sounds better and you're like seizing an opportunity to do something that's different Mm Hmm. dude i get it yeah honestly getting lost in the music man i (laughs) i love i love that i love that especially in all the talk we've been doing the philosophical talk about like you gotta walk through hell to get to heaven and all that shit and that's just being such an atrociously hellish place to live that you just like like all the middle steps were just gone because it's just like your whole lives have been absolute garbage conditionally and then we're immediately going into like tribal, like boots, 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 yeah, boots, boots. Zion, you know, Matrix Reloaded, like orgiastic dance. Yeah, that must have been chill as fuck for the people involved. For you know, 
the first so, couple days. I love this. You teed me up perfectly. It is with oh, yeah. all oh, yeah. of this in mind that I want to talk about Havana syndrome. Havana syndrome. <laughs> Let's go. Are you fam- are you familiar with Havana syndrome at all? No, and not at all. Have you? Okay. Do you, have you heard it in the news at all? I yeah. I feel like I have, but I'm not ever paying attention. Yeah. Should good. Yeah. You should. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Havana syndrome is a set of medical signs and symptoms reported by the United States and Canadian embassy staff in Cuba dating back to late 2016, as well as subsequently in some other cl- countries, uh, including United States, Austria, and Germany. Um, and it's also most notably, it's back in the news because two diplomats in Vietnam, just ahead of American diplomats, just ahead of com- uh, Vice President Harris's um, visit to Vietnam yeah. reported having Havana syndrome at the Vietnamese or at the U.S. Embassy in Hanoi. Um, so, subsequent studies of the affected diplomats in Cuba uh, found evidence that the diplomats experienced some form of brain injury, but mm-hmm. did not determine the cause of the injuries. Mm-hmm. While there is no expert consensus on the cause of the symptoms. A co-author of the JM, a JAMA study considered microwave weapons to be a main suspect for the phenomenon. I the US... fucking hope that's the case. <laughs> we'll get into it. We'll get into it. The U.S. National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine Expert Committee concluded that microwave energy appears to be the most plausible mechanism in explaining these cases among those that the committee considered but that each possible cause remains speculative. Um, the U.S. intelligence service did not reach a consensus, but unnamed sources in intelligence and two presidential administrations have expressed suspicions to the press that Russian military intelligence is responsible. So let's do some fucking talking based on the stuff that we've just talked about. Because... I want to be very clear. I have read a lot about Havana Syndrome and Mm -hmm. about this whole news story. And the quote-unquote microwave weapons that (laughs) the American government theorizes the Russian intelligence community has is is a weapon that doesn't formally exist like right. from a dictionary standpoint like there is right. the American no patent military for it. Yeah. yeah there's no patent for for microwave weapons that that give people like roughly the symptoms of a bad hangover uh, yeah yeah, yeah. let's go say dehydration <laughs> and and if the russian intelligence community has a weapon of this nature it likely cost like in the billions of dollars to mm-hmm. create and they have been able to not only to keep it hidden and secret from the American and NATO intelligence communities but they have done it while also coordinating with our quote unquote like g like geographic adversaries in mm-hmm. Cuba, China, as well as some allies including Vietnam, Tajikistan, um South Korea, I think. There and 
and and have been able to do this without anyone truly understanding what is going on. So I guess my question is, do you think that this is the cause of some sort of low-grade microwave weapon, which, which, again, causes like a very bad hangover in American diplomats? Mm-hmm. Or is it potentially a mass psychogenic illness that is brought on by some level of overwhelming stress and guilt of yeah. being the agents mm-hmm. of a worldwide imperial terror organization i those you you worded that question so well um, <laughs> it's unfortunately likely the latter <laughs> but how badly i want it to be the former <laughs> how badly i want it to be a couple guys, like, if, if it's, like, South Korea, like, just a couple guys over, like, some part of the DMZ wall on the North Korea side with these Marvin the Martian-looking motherfucking guns going, wah, 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 wah. And people just being like, ooh, oh, ah, I need to sit down. I need a Tylenol. Because that is kind of the most brilliant Cold War tactic. It really, I mean, it is it, the most it genius is, way to humble the U.S. Is so to gaslight the shit out of them, to give them just enough reason to think that they might be doing this, but not nearly enough for it to be the logical thing to conclude. But just enough, and then to be like, "Come on, a microwave weapon? You guys think that's what we're doing? We're giving you a microwave weapon to give you to give you mild headaches?" And then the whole time they're like, yeah, they're falling apart from the inside, you know? They don't know what's real. We've brought the American State Department to its knees. To its knees. Uh, Oh, the panic of one person just being like, man, I got this weird headache, I can't. And then one other person be like, me too. It's so American to just be like, me too. Oh my God. It's, um,. Uh, so I I I do sub, uh, subscribe to a um, very fun Wikipedia related Facebook group oh, called yeah. um, called the uh, what is it called Cool Freaks Wikipedia Club um, <laughs> yeah tracks and so, and someone earnestly posted the link to Havana Syndrome as like how like scary and paranoia inducing is this that the russians and the cubans have this ability and there's a very like clear political lean to this this group and there are like a hundred comments about havana syndrome i'm just going to read like some of my favorite like memes and comments on it because it is just without a doubt the best um there is a meme that's a photo of a guy grilling and it says, yeah, I've got Havana syndrome, Havana couple beers. <laughs> and it's, it says, this meme was made by the infamous Havana couple beers gang. Sometimes it's nice to throw a couple back. <laughs> um, and then, uh, what, let's see, um, 
sorry, I can't come into work today. The Cuban government has used a targeted energy weapon on me, producing symptoms identical to a hangover. <laughs> well, that's what I think it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's just um, like, oh, my God. Just in the internal like vocabulary of the government, just being like, yo, I'm not going to make it because I got Havana syndrome. And people being right? like, all right, man, drink some water. <laughs> Eat some Somebody carbs. Wrote- Somebody wrote, the uh, the communists are attacking our brave State Department bureaucrats with a tummy ache gun. <laughs> that would be so genius. Fuck, that would be so genius. That would be uh, so funny. There is, oh my god. Oh, somebody says this is like when the cops say they OD'd on fentanyl because they are in the same room <laughs> as it. <laughs> <laughs> and then like a large percentage of the public being familiar enough with fentanyl to be like that's not that's not how it works yeah um somebody wrote uh hey cia yeah the cubans pissed my bed again last night (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yo fuck i wish we had that during our college years as a joke Right. For any time any of us did something dumb alcohol related to just be like, yo, so the KGB came. We got Havana syndrome again. Yeah, the, K- yeah, the KGB came and elbowed my window last night, my kitchen window last night. Right. Shattered. I don't know if I have chronic Havana syndrome or if I drink 13 beers a night, one or the other. Dude, the KGB put something in all 13 of my beers where now I... Yeah. I vomit. <laughs> I vomit today. I don't know why. Oh my god. Um, Yo, that's amazing. So, yeah, this is that's that's the, the, the broader topic of mass psychogenic illness. Uh yeah. it has existed since at the very least the thirteenth century, quite mm-hmm. uh, quite clearly forever. Um mm-hmm. I think there are examples of extreme stress of the present overwhelming people's immune systems and causing symptoms of illness without an infection or any sort of actual disease and it's happening today with the u.s state department almost assuredly it's it was definitely two people who are a couple people who are smart enough who knew when part of the itinerary was going to the john mccain like going to the what was it the hanoi memorial to like oh my god yeah and then being like, dude, I don't want to be a... Like, this is not it. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be responsible for that. I, I, I have Havana syndrome. I have Havana syndrome. <laughs> oh, shit, me too. Oh, fuck. Did he already say... Ah, uh, can we both have it? It's shared. It's yeah. contagious. We both have it. Yeah. The microwave's gotten um, to my office, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just can't stop picturing, like, people in, like, stereotypically mid-century communist garb just going, holding some ridiculous looking gun shaped thing into the ether I need electrolytes yeah um alright you ready for my topic that slightly uh connects to stuff we were talking about earlier yeah I'm excited very possibly stuff that didn't make it into the podcast. So, listener, sorry if it doesn't connect to anything that's in here, but I will do my best to edit it. 
so that it makes some amount of sense. But yeah, uh, today we are talking about Manichaeism. Oh, okay. Are you familiar with Manichaeism? I've heard. I was the name. very much not. I've heard the name. I can't remember. I don't. I couldn't define okay. it for you. Yeah. I was completely uh, coming in cold on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but Manichaeism was a major religion founded in the third century A.D. by the Parthian prophet Mani. Um, M-A-N-I. Mani, probably. Um, mm-hmm. I just like thinking that a guy named Manny started it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> in the Sasanian Empire. Now, right off the bat, interesting thing. You know where they do, like, the different language pronunciations and stuff in the beginning? Yeah. Right off the bat, there's the new Persian word for it. And then right next to it is the Chinese word for it. Whoa. Fun. For a third century AD religion. Yeah. Now, I'm sure listeners of this podcast are familiar with the fact that, like, I've spent the last year being very interested in like theology and religion, just just from like a anthropological perspective, um, just like curious. And mostly, what I've been curious about is like the uh, transitions between different belief systems. Less right. so about what all the core tenets of each ones are, but why new ones come up and and you know in comparison to other ones. And yeah. usually the thing is, like, it's it's some amount of organic, like, oh, these people are getting the teachings of the original person wrong, so we got to make a sect that's more pure. And, right. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. But this one is interesting because that is not how I approach my own uh, interest in religion. It's more about, like, seeing what all of the different things have in common. And Manichaeism, from what I have read, appears to be the closest to kind of adhering to that. Um, Mm. So, all right. One of the main things about it is it taught an elaborate dualistic cosmology describing the struggle between a good spiritual world of light and an evil material world of darkness. Makes sense. Um, Through an ongoing process that takes place in human history, light is gradually removed from the world of matter and return to the world of light once it came. Its beliefs were based on local Mesopotamian religious movements and Gnosticism. Interestingly, it revered Mani as the final prophet after Zoroaster, Gautama Buddha, and Jesus. Whoa. So it had already synthesized yeah. Eastern and Western religions. Um. And Whoa. it was considered the first world religion because its spread went all the way from parts of Spain to, like, the coast of China. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, you know, oh, very interesting. Now, I will say, after it's spread, most people who didn't adhere to it, like, shut it down. <laughs> yeah, it was It was very... Um... Uh, yeah revile a bunch yeah. a bunch of different states for their own reasons you know in their own areas definitely uh shut it down but mani is this very interesting person because his whole like 
thing about why he thought he needed to preach something different or more or whatever wasn't so much from like a they're wrong this is right it's kind of like a everyone's kind of right Mm. but not getting the whole picture so he kind of saw himself as the person that's putting puzzle pieces together as opposed to like this is i made the puzzle if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. Um, which i love and the reason it spread in such a vast way was that his missionary style was to find the similarities with whatever the local traditions were and be like see not that different as opposed to like that's wrong jesus you know how how much of the world what did he did he personally spread the word to was he mostly in Iran and it spread from there? Yeah, so he was like straight up from like right off the banks of the Tigris. Um, mm. And I think a lot of it was in in that area. I don't know how yeah, far yeah. east he ever went. Yeah. Um, also, also very interesting. Uh, he lived in a place that is t- t- today so... Like that region, even mm-hmm. just not just Iran, but that region so associated with Islam. But this is like yeah. his he lit his life was like three hundred years before the Prophet yeah. Muhammad. So the timing like, of him too, yeah, is like super interesting. And and mm-hmm. like there there are definitely swaths of the Muslim community that like they see him as the seal of the Prophet. So to, or is that what it is? The seal of the Prophet or whatever. He's yeah. basically like the final word on all of the previous prophets kind of thing mm-hmm. which is very interesting um and he like kind of saw himself that way but not in the sense that like again they got it wrong and he got it right but he understood that all of these different prophets were all saying the same thing but just he wa- he wanted to synthesize very interesting um and my favorite part of course is that he was totally from an area that was like mostly Zoroastrian, a lot of Jews, and then Christianity just starting. Right. Um, but Buddhist influences were significant in the formation of Mani's religious thought. The transmigration of souls became a Manichaean belief, and the quadripartite structure of the Manichaean community, divided between male and female monks and lay followers who supported them, appears to be based on that of the Buddhist Sangha. Hmm. Now, the most interesting part of that specific, like, structure of the community is that St. Augustine, a very prominent Catholic figure, was Manichaean for a whole decade before he ever converted to Christianity. What? So... A, a decent amount of Catholicism that is like kind of still, you know, discussed through the work of St. Augustine has like distinct Buddhist like threads. Wow. Very interesting. Very, Very cool. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, to think. Um, and so. The way I got here, um, 
And this should come as no surprise to any listener, even people who have never met Jimmy. <laughs> the way we got here was because Jimmy was talking about um, this, this, this mass because he teaches at a Catholic school now. And one of the because it's uh, August 28th is the death of St. Augustine, a.k.a. yesterday. Because um, mm. we're recording this on the 29th. So that was the subject of the preaching. And Jimmy realized, like, the concept of heaven and hell, the way is it is popularly understood by cr the Christian community, or at least when looking through the Christian lens, mm -hmm. didn't really properly exist until St. Augustine. Huh. Because, like, yeah, there's, like, um, there's like sprinklings of the idea of hellfire for the souls that don't accept God in Judaism and stuff like that. But there's the idea of that, like Dante heaven and hell kind of thing. <clears throat> Wasn't ever really a thing until St. Augustine. And that was something that he was contemplating a lot clearly because of the strong Manichaean beliefs in dualities yeah and like good versus evil like that's the whole thing about manichaeism basically is like there is a, a distinct realm of light and 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 goodness and there's a distinct realm of darkness and through the different stages of the world and microcosmically each individual person they're separated and then they come together and then the final battle is to separate them again and then hmm. to become the light, you know, which is like, which all sounds, yeah, tracks, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's very, very in line with like modern, yeah, modern Christianity and Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. most particularly, it, you know, it's interesting, too, because um, that way of thinking, mm -hmm. it, I don't know, in, in our modern heads kind of uh, tracks with like, well, we, and we've said it on the show, right, like, are kind of all struggling with the, the fact that, like, of how prominent Calvinism came mm -hmm. to, like, feature in, like, modern thinking. Because the, the struggle between good and evil doesn't necessarily predestine people to be good and evil. It just mm -hmm. acknowledges that, like, the world, Earth the world of matter as Manichaeans uh -huh. or, or Machinists or however you would say it would, right. would imagine it is a, is a perfect blend of the world of light and the world of dark, right? Like mm -hmm. this is where it exists. And it, it rather than explaining, Oh, some people are evil. It explains that, Oh no, all people are both good and evil. Like yes. we exist in a world where there is a mixture of lightness and darkness. We have both joy and suffering we are capable of both good and evil. Every everyone is this complicated mess inside a world that it itself is chaos and com complex, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, you nailed it. Because like this yeah. specific thread of, you know, like these guys, right, are were kind of the main Western guys to after Neoplatonism to be like uh, the body is not like a burden it is just as much your existence like everyone puts the soul up top and then the body is just a vessel kind of thing 
Right. They're the ones that are like, no, you can't like reject your sensuality and stuff. Like you have to, you know, be the master of it. Right. But that's not like the the evil is not like, you know, so it was a little bit more. um, What's the word? Um, Accepting of the reality of the evil within us. Right. Um, But yeah. Uh, Interesting. Very interesting. And, um, you know, these pages are very long and there are a lot of like specifics to kind of the narrative of the Manichaean mythology, you know, and stuff like that. But it's it's ultimately just the same like you know monomyth situation and what i love is that mani seems to have understood that very well um and saint augustine and the fact that saint augustine who was like one of the top like philosopher theologian bishops you know was like clearly and and the thing is he definitely left because he disagreed at a certain point and there's like this right. moment that's very like famous that I am not familiar with because I never grew up in it where he talked to um where he had this uh interaction with Faustus um not not the German Faust yeah but Faustus who if you're you know come from a Catholic background a Christian background you're probably familiar with um that made him like move away from it but it's clear that like a lot of his philosophical um contemplations were very much founded in manichaean his time in the manichaean like structures and um i think the the geography of it is just so interesting right like yeah that that's the part that's just so like um kind of unbelievable is to think of like a major world Mm -hmm. religion that existed that 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 covered like from the coast of china to yeah to western europe you know and for me and i think you know maybe that's part of me is just because i want to like relate my own approach to think this thing in a similar way but it's totally because it's like understood that everyone was on to something Mm-hmm. And it's not like my belief system is better than yours. It's like there's it's the commonality of humanity that he like nailed. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it's yeah. And I mean, it's like. um, Some of the stuff, all of this stuff is like sacred because of its simplicity. Right. Like mm-hmm. like the, the mono story is 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 inevitable and so mm-hmm. there's a bit of like like all of these world relig- religions are synthesized because at their core they all have something similar to say right and and yeah. and that's like by design like they actually all i mean they've there is much more intermingling and stealing of notes than like the fervent zealots of each of these religions would ever give credit to um Mm -hmm. but it's just the truth is that they are synthesized towards one human story Mm -hmm. because there is only one 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Very interesting. This is um, I'm gonna keep this one short because we've had a couple long episodes, but it's yeah. one of those, and it's mostly because it's one of those ones where the pages are so long, and I know I've only scratched the surface of what I want to find out out of all of this. So, like, over the course of the next few episodes, there will be, like, sprinklings of this. Totally. Um, But this has really been one of those, like, nice door opening into history moments for me. Yeah, I like that. Oh, wow. Like, oh, people were out there doing the thing. Yeah. and, And, like, if it weren't for the strength of the state of each of these places... Because it's, I mean, Manichaeism is, like, essentially dead. It's extinct for all intents and purposes, you know? Totally. And the only use of it now is um, it's, like, a short, it's a term for people who are overly dualistic. Ah. As, like, almost a derogatorily connotating, like, oh, that's very Manichaean of you kind of thing. Which is, like, a bummer because it's, like... For for a word that has become synonymous with dualistic, seems to be pretty much the best one foot in, one foot out gray area set of ideas, you know? Yeah. Now, there are some, like, very interesting rigid structures, um, like the elect class, which is basically, like, their version of, like, the monk, monk class kind of thing. They yeah. were, like, super strict um, hmm. in terms of, like, you couldn't kill anything. So, and in a very woke way, that included vegetables. Whoa. So they, like, couldn't really eat anything unless the way they would eat is that the people who are hearers, it was called, who are the lay people who did not commit to this life but still were followers of Manichaeism, which to me sounds like the perfect place to be. (laughs) And that's where St. Augustine was, which is my favorite thing, is he's just like... One foot in, one foot out. Um, They would bring the food to the elect, having committed the sin of killing whatever crops or whatever. But through some semantic loophole, I'm sure, is actually what it was, they were cleansed of their sins by providing the food to the elect who who didn't have to kill the plants, and then through consuming it, were somehow freeing freeing the essence of the light of the plants into the lightness or something. It's interesting because that sounds like Jainism. Um, yeah. Which is like, right, like one of the major religions of the Indian subcontinent and mm-hmm. uh, requires that you kill, like not kill, not uh, you like vow to nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is an old religion too, right? Like that, I probably was, that was, that yeah, sounds it was like, like it was kind of synthesized from that too. It's either right before or right after Buddhism that Jainism like kind of came up, I think. Interesting. I don't remember which, but definitely, oh, yeah. well, oh I must've been before because I think there was like, there was part of the Buddha story where he like encounters it and like, it, Checks it's it a, it, and it was like a it's a little too heavy for him right like it's a little i think that's what it is strict. yeah 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 because his whole of course his first because buddha's first thing when he got enlightened was like if you're hungry eat 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Going back to our burger conversation. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, well, but, hell yeah. No, we learned yeah. about a new religion today. I dig it. So so we just unlocked that door and opened yeah. it a little bit. and I'm I think, sure it will come back to us, yeah. Yeah, directly or indirectly. Um, yeah. Because I... I I've actually been like fiending for another one of those things that just makes me like deep dive. Yeah. It's been a sec. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be it. Well, hell yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Mm. This is the end of episode 40. 40. Um, and uh, if you want to get a hold of us, Hegelian Friendship Simulator at gmail.com. We're on social media, Instagram and Twitter. Um yeah, and uh we'll we'll be back at you in a couple weeks. Yeah. Write to us about your experiences with um mass, mass psychogenic hysteria. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Alright, adios. Adios.